0: Thank you for everyone who's joined us here this morning as part of the 9 a.m. community. We are uh, glad you're here with us. It's a a bit surreal as we've been saying throughout uh, the last uh, 10 days or two weeks, um, especially to be here at 9 a.m. when uh, we're usually gathered together in the same place and uh, yet obviously we are not. You can see behind me that you are not here. Um, But we have been able to come together from all over the city Uh, the country and even the world and so again we're glad that you've joined us today uh during these these frightening times uh discouraging times for many of us and over a very short period of time we've gone from a relative comfort to uh what seems like the world has has changed forever and so well, we come to worship together here today and so we're here to share a word And um, actually today, rather than doing what we normally do, and that is focusing on one uh, text together, um, I have three texts and really three uh, themes to uh, share with you. And so I want to start with a text from um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, which is actually where we've been uh, looking for our sermon series. But we're taking a break from that today to look at Matthew 13, which is a little bit uh, back from where we've been studying in Matthew 21 through 25. So this is Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. um, And it says this, this is Jesus telling a story, a parable. Uh, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, Then the weeds also appeared and the owner's servants came to him and said, "Uh, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? And the owner said, an enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them all up? And he said, no, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may also uproot the good crop of the wheat. Let both of them grow together until the harvest At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You know, anytime uh, we face a crisis uh, like this, and of course we're in unprecedented times here, so it's hard to identify anything in our lifetimes that have been quite like this. But anytime we face crisis, uh, one of the existential questions that we ask is where is God in this where's God in this uh, mess if God is as good as as Christians followers of Jesus assert then why is he not more active in the world when it's in a particular mess like we're in uh, now and uh, we certainly are in a mess and so here Matthew teen I think is a little enlightening to help us to kind of understand what's going on where God is during a time like this um Jesus actually gives the answer to this question. So he's telling the story about a farmer uh, who owns a field and he plants seed as a farmer does at the appropriate time. Uh, But the farmer has an enemy who is at work, a a rival, if you will, a rival farmer. And so the rival farmer goes and plants bad seed amongst the good seed. And so when the crop comes up uh, there, they are both uh, together. Yeah, but the the farmer doesn't get discouraged the farmer actually has a plan to deal with the the problem of both even though the workers are a little confused about what's going on they want to know what they should be doing they want to get to work trying to fix the problem but the farmer knows that the best solution is to let both things grow at the same time and then he'll take care of sorting things out in the end and uh, jesus here, here is affirming a very ancient idea and that is that god has an enemy and uh, that this enemy is at work in the world. It's been God's rival for the ages, and that God has temporarily allowed or permitted the enemy to do uh, his work alongside God's own work, God's good work. And so now I think this raises some really interesting questions, questions that we don't completely have time for uh, today. And so as it just so happens that, uh, as this pandemic was spreading, I happened to be reading, um, a really incredible book called The Theodicy of Love by, uh, Dr. John Peckham. Uh, some of you know this because I've been annoyingly sharing the ideas of this book all over the place. So I saw that a little bit today because I really think it does help us to understand a little bit about what's going on, uh, now. Anyway, the book is Theodicy of Love. In fact, I was so impressed by this that I messaged uh, Dr. Peckham and he's gonna join us for this broadcast in two weeks to talk a little bit more de- in a little more detail about this subject of where is God and what's going on when the world is is uh, a mess. So he'll be here with us April 4. but I don't wanna leave you in suspense. So I wanna take a little bit of time just summarizing the theme behind this story of Jesus when he is articulating that there is an enemy at work, that God has an enemy that's been working at against him. So um, the summary is that, you know, God created the world uh, and gave all of his uh, creations uh, free will, not only the world, but the universe. And he gave all of his creations free will so that he can have a healthy relationship with us um, and with his creation. Without that, uh, there would be, without free will, there wouldn't be the possibility of really living in, loving relationship with God and God really cares about that. And so God gave his creations the capacity for evil. He didn't create evil, but the capacity for evil uh, was there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden is one example of that. And so we're told in the, the narrative of the Bible that uh, there was a, an angel, one of God's creation who first exercised his free will to to choose against God and to choose Uh, evil and embrace evil. And that uh, Lucifer became known throughout the scriptures as Satan or the dragon and who he's alluded to in many, many places throughout the the Bible. And that he then convinced the first inhabitants of our planet, you know, the story, if you've read, if you've read the Bible before Genesis chapter one, two, and three articulate this, that uh, this Satan uh, convinced others to to exercise their free will against God as well. And so the earth, the entire earth Became catastrophically devastated by this decision, and every aspect of nature on Earth, from from human nature to to nature around us, the, li- the living organism that is the Earth, has been affected catastrophically by this uh, incursion of of evil in the world. And so, despite the fact that God has more power, and clearly the Bible articulates that God is the all power powerful God of the universe who created the universe and has more power than the devil or anything else in the universe. That despite God having more power, this war that's going on with his rival isn't really about power, but it's a war of ideas. And so we're stuck now in this war, war. And then we're told that God didn't just leave the world on its own, but that Jesus came and entered in behind enemy lines to establish God's kingdom. So Satan or Lucifer or the devil had uh, claimed earth as his own once uh, humans exercised their free will against God. Uh, But God came behind enemy lines. And that's the story of Jesus, Jesus establishing a, a new kingdom. Again, this is a story that you may be familiar with, but I think it fits to help a little bit of the background of what's going on when the world is a mess. Like why is God not acting? And so what we see from the Bible is that God actually restrains uh, himself, that there are some rules of engagement that he's established as to how he can help, when he can help, when he gets involved. And uh, these are a bit of a mystery to us. In fact, the Bible doesn't really uh, completely explain the rules of engagement that have that, that, that bind God, if you will, by his own uh, choice from action. And so uh, the world is a mess uh, there's an enemy at work, an enemy in the field. God has a plan to rectify things in the end, but currently we're kind of in the in-between. And the in-between means that uh, God does not engage in every situation, in every circumstance. In fact, in most circumstances. And so it's discouraging. It's it's disheartening because we want to see God come and do uh, things that we know that God can do, and yet he's not active like we'd like him to be? Why doesn't he just uh, get rid of this uh, uh, virus? Why doesn't he just help those who are desperate and hurting and and in need? And so there's some mystery around. We know that God has some rules of engagement and that he is not, he does not enable himself to get involved in every circumstance and and every situation. And so while while that's a little bit of a challenging uh, background, it does uh, lead to some other questions that are really relevant to our situation today. And that is, okay, You know, if God has a plan to rectify all things in the end, as He promises, but He doesn't get engaged uh, in every circumstance and situation that we're in now, where does that leave us? And what do we do then, as uh, Christians uh, today, as believers in this God and believers in the work that He did through Jesus? Uh, Where does that put us when we're in desperate times like we are today? And so this leads to our next question. Well. Uh, If there is a war going on between God and his rival, and the earth is the battlefield for this war, what are we as followers of Jesus supposed to be doing uh, between now and the mess that we're in and the future that is promised to us? Uh, Well, Jesus' good friend, John, actually has a lot to say about uh, what we do in the interim. And uh, so I'm looking at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible is John chapter three sixteen, 16, also written by Jesus' good friend, John. But here we're looking at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. And there it says this. This is how we know what a love is. So God has established his relationship with us, and that it's a relationship rooted in love. And John is now explaining what love looks like. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Uh, this is actually a really similar statement or certainly similar idea to what Jesus himself a taught and it is recorded in John's one of John's other books in the, the Bible. And this is from John chapter 13, verse 34. And these are Jesus' very own words. Jesus says, A new command I give to you, he's talking to his disciples. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, um, in 165 A.D. And for the following 15 years, if you can imagine that, there was a massive epidemic in the Roman Empire, referred by medical historians as the Plague of uh, Gallen. And medical historians have uh, suspected that this was actually the first recorded case, at least, of smallpox in the Western uh, world. And it was uh, devastating had a devastating impact on uh, Rome in particular. In fact, it's estimated that one quarter to one third of the entire population of the Rome, of, of, the Roman empire was, was died during this 15 year period from this, what, what they surmise may be a smallpox. smallpox. And so about a hundred years later, in 251 BC, another uh, epidemic broke out in uh, the Roman empire. And this time it was said that over 5,000 people a day were carried out of the city of Rome at the height of this epidemic. And so medical historians, again, surmise that this was, uh, this was a plague of measles. Now, in his book, another great book, another reference for you while you're uh, sitting at home socially distancing. Um, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, How the Obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious religion for the Western world in a few centuries. Sociologist Rodney Stark uh, claims that Christians had a much lower mortality rate than the general public because, and are you ready for this? Why Why did Christians have a much lower mortality rate than general public? They took care of each other in times of need, uh, particularly, during these two plagues, when up to 30 percent of the population uh, died, uh, Christians had a death rate much more like 10 percent. And this is simply, simply at least attributed to them by the medical professions that professionals that are historians, that it was because Christians were very, very intentional about taking care of each other. So when someone got uh, sick, you didn't just uh, leave them uh, that was that was the pagan idea. The Roman idea was like, hey, if someone's sick, we don't know why they're sick. And we just know that if you're around a sick person, uh, you could get sick too. And so you just get out of there. You just abandon them. Uh, the Christians had a different perspective. They actually cared for each other in times of a sickness. They didn't uh, leave anyone behind. And so I think the lesson here is pretty obvious. And <laughs> that, is, that is, if we're followers of Jesus... And uh, we believe that the world is a, certainly a mess and there are not explanations for, for why things are happening. And God doesn't intervene in every situation like we, we would. And yet we're still here and we care. And God calls us to love him and to love each other. What do we do? Uh, again, the lesson from history is clear. Like we take care of each other. We got to look out for each other. Uh, John said, dear children, let us not love with words. And Christians have a lot of words. Don't just love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now is the time to act. Now is the time for us to live in in truth and to take care of each other, each other as fellow followers of Jesus, but also each other as brothers and sisters in humanity. Now is the time for us to step up and to to help this broken world, a world that's confused and disoriented and doesn't know what's coming next. And so that leads to the question, well, what, what can we do to help? How do we help? It seems like there's not much we can do. We're all sequestered in our in our homes or in our apartments. Uh, I'm sequestered in the in the church. Uh, but what can we do? How can we be helpful when when uh, we're told to stay away from each other? And so I think there are some very clear things, and we need to keep thinking about this as a community. Like, how are we going to? care about each other. But I've heard a few of you already have texted me and talked about some things that we can do. And so I thought I'd share that with you. You know, first of all, we can be in contact with each other socially. Um, we can call each other. I mean, now's the time to start texting. I mean, I know we don't call people anymore, but now may be the time to start calling again. Like, talk to someone. Talk to someone that you haven't talked to in a while. Um, particularly, and we want to be intentional about this here at Avon. hope that, you know, there are, there are those who are alone those who don't talk to people that much outside of maybe coming to the worship service. And so now we don't have that. And so how can we be engaged? Well, we need to start socializing with each other and we have the technology tools that they didn't have in 195 and 251 that we can do that. And they found a way to do it then we can do it too. And so we need to be in social contact with each other. We also obviously need to help to care for the actual sick and uh, with that said, I know that's for many of us, it's difficult to do, but this would be a, an appropriate time, I think, to just recognize all of the medical professionals who are indeed doing this, as Nick said earlier, that are while everyone is, is trying to escape and socially distance, our medical professionals are actually engaging with those who have the virus and, and helping, and there are a bunch of them here in the Avant Hope community, in fact, uh, one of my friends uh, sent me a text this morning with kind of a list of our medical professionals who are um, are at risk or who are in danger of of getting the virus and it's it's disturbing, uh, but they're doing what they're called to do as followers of Jesus to help those who are sick. and so for those of us who who want to help the sick uh, and and maybe because of the social distancing distancing can't do that we maybe need to think about how we can help those who are helping the sick. Like what can we do for our medical professionals who are uh, risking their own health to, to help communities and help people, many of them who they, of course, they don't even know. And so that's a question that needs to be left open for us as a community. How can we help those who are in direct contact uh, with the sick? How can we be supportive of them? And I think we need to assess ways that we can support our medical Professionals and I want to just say again, thank you to all of you who are listening here and are part of our community who are doing this important and and uh, and challenging work to help during this time of crisis. And then um, finally, as we think about what it means to be in this 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 kingdom that is 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 being uh, wrestled with and this this war between God and His uh, enemy, the Accuser Satan. So we think about what we can do. We can r- rally for support for those who uh, need financial care. You know, there are people who are have already lost their jobs in our community. There are those who are going to lose their jobs or who are in danger of losing their jobs. And we need to figure out and find a way in which we can support each other. This was an essential part of the New Testament church, the church that Jesus established of taking care of people of each other uh, financially. And so I can't yet tell you exactly how we're going to do that. We have an elders meeting this uh, this afternoon, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we can how we can help to to support those who have been directly or will be directly impacted by the financial situation that's going on uh, right now. But that's certainly something that we need to to be thoughtful about. And so there are tangible ways that we can exist in this broken world. We can't uh, finish the fight that uh, Jesus is is working on on his own. We cannot win the war for God. God is going to do that. He has a plan to bring all things to to the end. Uh, But there are things that we can do in the interim. So we can help those who are helping uh, the sick. Uh, We can be social and we can reach out to someone uh, maybe that you haven't talked to in a while and just ask how they're doing. I know, by the way, many of you did that for me. And that was really uh, encouraging. I've gotten messages from you just asking how I'm doing, how's the, how the family is doing, and I know how much that meant to me. And so let's think about those maybe who we wouldn't first think of to reach out to and, and or who maybe we haven't heard from in a while and check in uh, with them. And so that's a way that we can be involved in this, in this uh, work as followers of Jesus. And then we can figure out ways to financially support each other in the desperate times ahead. And so I leave you finally with this. This is the, the third part. I told you I was going to share three texts with you. I added a couple extra. Um, but this last text is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7. And it's always one that I go to in times of hardship because I just love the language. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. You know, when the mess is all around. It's really easy to think that nobody cares. And I think that uh, Peter wrote this because he knew that we would find times when we were discouraged and overwhelmed and afraid. And so the invitation from God through Peter is that we can cast our anxiety. We can cast those things that make us anxious on God because he cares for us. He too has suffered. He knows what it's like to be in a situation like we're in today. And his invitation is to cast our anxiety, cast our fear on him. And ultimately, he's going to take care of all things and all things will be made new. But even until then, we can give peace that passes understanding, even in the midst of terrible times. And so as a community, as we continue to worship together, may God do what only he can do in us to give us peace during these challenging times and help us to have our eyes wide open as to how we can help our brothers and sisters in humanity. Amen.